Hi there! Welcome to Explain This, a podcast where we try to explain complex things in simpler ways for people of all ages. I'm your host Jin Kim, and today we'll talk about how CPR works and how it can help us save a life. Let's get started! CPR stands for cardiopulmonary resuscitation, which in layman's language just means an emergency life-saving procedure using the heart and lungs. Yeah, everything sounds a lot fancier in Latin. CPR is a last resort effort to maximize the chance of a person's survival when their heart stops beating. Most people are familiar with CPR either through first aid training, which is the best way to learn about CPR, or dramatic depictions in TV shows such as Scrubs, Grey's Anatomy, or The Office, which are slightly less reliable sources. Now, even though the topic may not necessarily be age appropriate, for simplicity's sake, let's start by trying to explain how CPR works as if you're a five-year-old. Okay, so your body is a very elaborate machine with lots of parts. For your body to keep working smoothly and for you to stay alive, it needs fuel. That's called blood. So blood carries around oxygen from fresh air and also food, such as sugar, delivering it to all the different parts of the body. The most important part of the system is the heart, which works like a bicycle pump. It works every minute of every day of your life to squeeze blood from the lungs, where the blood picks up fresh oxygen, to the rest of the body, including your brain. But what happens when your heart stops? Well, then blood stops flowing and your body doesn't get the oxygen and food it needs to work. Your brain is super hungry for oxygen and food all the time. It's just a massive hunger. So if you don't provide fresh blood to it within five minutes, it's going to die and never come back, ever. So if we want to keep the brain alive so that we can get to the hospital and restart the heart, we need to get blood to the brain somehow and keep it running until we get to the hospital. Like we said, the heart is just a fancy pump. So if it's not beating on its own, then we need to pump it from the outside. We can do this by pushing on a person's chest really, really hard to squeeze the blood out of the heart, then letting go to let more blood fill the heart. So the chest kind of acts like a big springboard. If we repeat this process over and over while breathing into the person's mouth so that we can breathe for them and give them more oxygen, then the ambulance can take the person away to the hospital. There, they might be able to fix whatever's wrong with the heart, and presto, we saved the life. Alright, so that's a really simplified version of how CPR works. After the break, we'll explain the science behind CPR in more detail. Welcome back. Alright, so by now you should understand the core principles of CPR. Essentially, it isn't actually a way of reviving someone from death like we simplified it to, but it actually just keeps the brain and other vital organs alive until the heart can be restarted by manually doing what the heart and lungs normally do for the person. Just a quick disclaimer here, we're going to be focusing more on how CPR works rather than how to do CPR well. For that, you'll need to do some proper first aid training, which everyone should do anyway because you never know when it might come in handy. So highly recommend that. Don't listen to a podcast and say, I can do CPR. Uh, You'll understand how it works, but you won't be able to do it effectively. So with that little disclaimer out of the way, let's get down to the nitty gritty details. Your heart can stop beating due to a number of reasons. A heart attack where a chunk of heart muscle dies off, a disturbance in the heart's natural electrical rhythm, or because you don't have enough blood pressure to maintain a functional blood circulation. Essentially, if you don't have enough blood to go around, then the heart's just pumping air, essentially. Either way, if your heart ain't working, you ain't living. Because the brain is dependent on a steady circulation of blood. As soon as that's cut off, 
you lose consciousness. Within seconds of your heart stopping, which is known as cardiac arrest, not a heart attack as some people might think, your brain switches into what's essentially a power-saving mode, making you fall unconscious. At this point, you also stop breathing. Within five minutes, the brain runs out of its store of energy and oxygen, so the cells can't do their thing of keeping things running, and they start to die. When this happens, you become progressively brain injured until you're completely brain dead and unrevivable. So, it's pretty clear how dang important it is that we keep the heart beating somehow, and that's the point of CPR. In the five minutes it can take for an ambulance to reach a patient who suffered cardiac arrest, they could already be brain dead. CPR buys us enough time for emergency medical staff to arrive and resuscitate the patient, in the hopes of actually restarting the heart and bringing the person back to life by treating whatever the cause of their arrest was. Okay, that's enough shilling about the importance of CPR and how the cold embrace of death works. But let's talk about the different aspects of CPR and how each part helps save lives. In medicine, we talk about the ABCs of resuscitation. Always be close. Sorry, sorry, that's the office coming out again. The ABCs are airway, breathing, and circulation. If you don't have a clear airway, then you can't breathe. If you don't breathe, you don't breathe in oxygen, which cells need to stay alive. And you also don't breathe out carbon dioxide, which can be toxic if it builds up too much. But at the same time, if you don't have a circulation, as in blood flowing through the body, then you can't deliver this freshly oxygenated blood to the organs, or bring blood back from the organs to remove the trash. Therefore, CPR addresses all three of these vital components. First, when a person is unconscious, they can't protect their airway. Remember the giant, uncomfortable, squishy thing that you sometimes forget sits in your mouth? Yeah, sorry to remind you. Well, when you fall unconscious, the tongue falls back into the back of the mouth and blocks it. Your neck might also fold awkwardly when you fall, which obstructs the airway. So you need to do the logical thing first by straightening the neck, tilting the head back, and lifting the chin. Because the tongue is attached to the jaw itself, when you lift the jawbone up, it clears the tongue out of the way. Now you've got a clear airway so air can flow in and out. Next, we need to breathe for the person, because remember their brain is switched off so the normal auto-breathing function of the person is off. This can be done with mouth-to-mouth resuscitation, where you pinch the nose, seal your lips around the person's mouth, and breathe fully out to fill their lungs. Kind of like blowing up a balloon. Oh, and don't worry about using your breath. The air you breathe out still has enough oxygen to sustain the other person's brain, so you're not going to poison them with your carbon dioxide. When you take your face off, the lungs are quite elastic, so they just naturally recoil back and they'll breathe out the carbon dioxide, like a deflating balloon. But it's actually quite simple if you describe it as a balloon in a bicycle pump, really. Just two things to remember here. One, as much as sitcoms joke about how sexy giving mouth-to-mouth to a hot guy or girl would be, in reality, death is pretty disgusting. There's snot, saliva, vomit, sometimes blood. Also, if you're giving CPR to a stranger, you have no idea what kind of cooties, such as hepatitis or HIV, they might be carrying. So, if possible, use a face shield or equipment such as a bag valve mask so that you don't actually have the mouth-to-mouth contact. In an emergency with a family member, mouth-to-mouth will be just as good enough. But otherwise, you can actually get away with not giving breaths for a little bit, so the focus should be more on the compressions to get the blood flowing, and that will be the more life-saving procedure until the ambulance gets there.
too. Because the lungs sit in the chest, if someone is giving chest compressions and you try to breathe in the lungs, you're not going to get much air in. It's, it's like trying to breathe into a balloon with someone's fist around it. Therefore, you have to coordinate with the person doing compressions by waiting until they've done 30 presses, telling them to pause, and then give two full breaths. After the breaths, the other person should immediately continue compressions. 30 to 2, that's the magic ratio you should remember. Finally, we need to artificially pump the blood around the person's body. Fortunately for us, evolution put the heart in a springy box called the ribcage. This means you can push down on the middle of the chest to squish the heart, which pumps all the blood out to the rest of the body. When you let go fully, the chest recoils, and the pressure drops inside your heart. This sucks blood away from the lungs. Fortunately, through an elaborate system of valves, the blood only flows one way from lungs to heart to body in most situations. So the heart is now ready to deliver another dose of blood to the body. And then you pump, push the blood out, let go, fresh blood fills the heart. Simple as that. So you just need to repeat this process about a hundred times a minute to the sweet tune of BG staying alive. And you're effectively doing about a third of the work a normal functional heart would, which is just enough to keep the brain alive to get the person safely to a emergency medical staff that can resuscitate them properly. Side note here, every time I'm doing CPR in the emergency department, I try desperately to sing Staying Alive in my head because it sounds a lot more optimistic. But for some reason, my brain always defaults back to Queen's Another One Bites the Dust, which has the same beats per minute. I wonder what that says about my character. Hmm. Anyway, if you've ever done CPR, you know just how exhausting it can be. Within two minutes, you'll be sweating up a storm, and your triceps will feel like you've done a hundred push-ups. That's how hard your heart is working for you every moment of your life. So be grateful for it. Wow, that was a lot of detail. The core principle of how CPR works is actually pretty simple, but the science and rationale behind it can be more complicated. Let's take a short break to process all of that. And then we'll come back and discuss another crucial part of CPR that we didn't talk about at all with the explaining like a five-year-old, defibs. And we're back. The last part of CPR that I wanted to explain is something called defibrillation, or defib for short, and that's probably the word you're more familiar with from medical shows. And anyone who's seen a medical show will have seen a group of very attractive doctors dramatically shocking a so-called flatlined patient after yelling, CLEAR! and patting themselves on the back when the machine starts beeping, saying that the heart started again. Yay! Now, there's a few inaccuracies in how it is actually depicted in media, but that's essentially what defibrillation is. Applying electricity to the heart to shock it into a normal rhythm. The heart is a wondrous automatic pump that beats like clockwork. Normally. This is all thanks to a delicate electrical circuit built into the heart, where a group of cells act as a pacemaker, and this stimulates the heart at regular intervals, going beep, 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 beep. Nice and automatic. The electrical impulse travels in an orderly fashion through the heart, triggering the muscles to squeeze in a particular order to maximize the efficiency of pumping. It's kind of like a Mexican wave for the muscles, where you get a spreading impulse and muscles going squeeze, squeeze to the beat. It's actually beautiful to see in action. If you can see a video of a heart pumping naturally, it's... It's a thing of beauty. But if something goes wrong, say a massive heart attack kills part of the heart and disrupts this beautiful circuit, then the electrical impulse is no longer coordinated. 
and you can create feedback loops that stimulate the heart very chaotically. Because there is no order to the squeezing, the heart is unable to pump blood effectively and just kind of jitters and trembles away, almost as if it's having a seizure. Funnily enough, that's kind of similar what actually happens in a seizure. It's just your brain's electricity chaotic rather than the heart. Anyway, going back to the heart, this is what we call fibrillation, and it's a common cause of why people go into cardiac arrest, because the heart's not beating effectively and you lose blood pressure, and then the brain doesn't get enough blood. In this state, you can imagine that if you fix the electrical chaos, the heart just might beat normally again. Well, that's exactly the solution. So if you use a machine called a defibrillator, you can deliver a small jolt of electricity to the heart, essentially overloading it and turning it off and on like a computer. The fibrillation is removed, hence the defibrillation, and the normal pacemaker in the heart kicks in and the heart starts to beat normally. Now you don't have to spend all that effort jumping up and down on the chest to keep the patient's blood flowing. Their heart will do it for them, like it's supposed to. One side note here is that a quote-unquote flat line or asystole is when the heart shows no electrical activity, in which case there's no fibrillation to defibrillate. There's just no electricity going through the heart at all. No amount of shocking the heart will bring that rhythm back. You have to do other treatments like giving them adrenaline, CPR, and fixing whatever caused that state. So medical shows where they shock a flat line, it's a famous, famous error in the medical world because it would just do absolutely no good. But hey, it looks dramatic and cool, right? Now, we have AEDs nowadays, or automated external defibrillators, that anyone with basic first aid training can use in the community. All you have to do is attach the sticky pads in the right location, press a button, continue doing CPR, and then the machine will just analyze the rhythm of the heart automatically and figure out if there is a fibrillation or not. If there is a fibrillation, then the AED will charge and let you know that you can stay clear of the patient so that you can push a button, deliver the electricity, go back to CPR. If the shock worked and the patient successfully defibrillated, they should start groaning and breathing on their own so you know that they're alive. And presto, you saved a life. Widespread placement of AEDs in the community and first aid training being so readily accessible has significantly improved the outcome of out-of-hospital cardiac arrest. Because it's the one thing you can actually use to quote-unquote cure cardiac arrest without a medical professional around with a very advanced interventions. Well, there you have it. it. Turns out the crux of saving a life is essentially squeezing a blood pump, blowing into a pair of balloons, and turning the heart off and on. With a few more steps, of course. However, there is a dark side to the wonder that is CPR. What? A dark side, you say? Why do we have to ruin a beautiful story about the miracle of saving a life? Why do we always do this? Well, the thing is, like we discussed earlier, CPR itself isn't the cure to death. It merely delays it. Statistically speaking, the chance of successfully restarting a person's heart in the community is about 30%. Even if the heart is restarted and the patient is taken to a hospital, their chance of leaving the hospital alive is somewhere between 8 to 10%. So that's a 1 in 10 chance that you doing CPR quickly and efficiently actually saves a life. CPR isn't a miracle that revives people. It's a medical procedure. There's a wonderful quote in Scrubs that I love where Dr. Cox tells JD, you're in medicine. You gotta accept the fact that everything we do here, 
everything is a stall. We're just trying to keep the game going. That's it. But ultimately, it always ends up the same way. That said, if you didn't do CPR, there is a near 0% chance that the person with cardiac arrest will have come back to life. Even if they did, their brains will be fried, and all of their memories, personality, hopes, dreams, loves, essentially everything that made them a person will have been lost. When you start CPR, you start it knowing full well that the person is already dead, and you can't harm them any further. But there is a chance that you might just save their life. Speaking from personal experience, when you're doing CPR, you get this eerie feeling that in that moment, you're acting as that patient's heart and lungs. You're breathing for them, and you're actively pushing blood through their arteries and veins just to keep their organs alive. As soon as you stop, they go back to being dead. Eventually, there's a good chance that person will not live to go back home. But there will be times when you find out that the person made a full recovery, went back home, and lived a full life. They would be able to spend months or even years more with their loved ones. They might attend their child's wedding or visit that country they always wanted. All thanks to you literally being their heart for that brief moment. That's it for today. Thank you for listening to Explain This. I hope you've learned something today that's interesting or adds to your life in some way. We'll see you next time with a different concept to explain to you in a way that anyone can understand. Bye for now.